turn in your Bibles this evening to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and chapter 20. Acts 20, we will be reading together verses 17 through 32. Acts 20, beginning with verse 17 and reading through verse 32. Let's give our attention now to the word of God. Acts 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care For the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God, to, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. May God add his blessing to this reading of his holy word. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the great truths of your word. We thank you that you have committed that word into our care. In each generation, you have blessed your people with your word. And we pray that tonight you will use that word to comfort and strengthen your people and that you will bless us and that Christ will be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
In over 40 years of preaching the scriptures to the people of God, there has never been a message I did not want to preach more than this one tonight. My friends, six years and eight months ago, I left South Carolina. I left a church where I had labored for more than half my adult life. And that was hard. It was very hard. It was a painful experience. But that experience, as difficult as it was, does not even compare to what I'm feeling tonight. In the past six and a half years, you, brethren, have become unspeakably precious to my heart and to my soul. And the pain of leaving you now is almost more than I can bear. But ultimately, my goal tonight is to emphasize the fact this is not about me. This is not about you. This is about God. This is about Christ. This is about what our God has ordained in his wise providence. And though we may not understand it, we can be confident it is right. Now, our text this evening reminds us that this is not the first church, and I am not the first pastor to face such circumstances. Two years, or 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul was facing a very similar situation. He was traveling for the last time from Macedonia to Jerusalem. And on the way, he stops in Asia to say goodbye to the church at Ephesus, particularly to the leaders of the church at Ephesus. And that church had become very dear to the apostle. His farewell address contains a number of thoughts that I believe were designed by God to help guide them through that time and I believe will help guide me and you and this congregation through these troublesome waters. Now, obviously, the present situation that we are in is very unlike what the apostle was facing. I, as far as I know, do not think chains and imprisonment await me in South Carolina. As far as I know, this is not going to be the last time you ever see my face. As far as I know, I do then anticipate savage wolves to come into this congregation and tear things apart. However, 
there are some things here that I believe are very similar. There were things that the Apostle Paul wanted that congregation to know. There are things that I want you to know. There were things that God would use to comfort, encourage, and strengthen that church in Ephesus 2,000 years ago. And those same things I believe God can use tonight in this congregation in Carlisle, Pennsylvania to comfort and to encourage and to prepare us for what's ahead. The first thing that I want to draw your attention to is, and I've changed a point here, or at least a word in each of your, your outlines, um, instead of the apostles' affection and commendation and expectation, I want you to put in the minister's, the minister's affection, because this is not just about Paul. This includes us. This includes me. And it includes all faithful ministers who love their congregation. So the first thing is the minister's affection for the church. Paul does not begin with clear, concise, open expressions of his affection. He does not say, you know what, I really love you guys, and I'm going to miss you something awful. But what he does do is he begins a brief recounting of his labors in Ephesus, particularly in verses 19 and 20. We find Paul talking about how he served the Lord with humility, all humility. And he served the Lord with humility in spite of the fact that there were many tears involved. There were problems, there were difficulties, there were heartaches as he ministered to this congregation. And there were trials that happened to him by the plotting of the Jews. And yet, the apostle says that he ministered to them faithfully through all of that. Now, I know that some people say, well, I mean, what, what do you do all week long? You only work one day a week. So when they, when they think about the minister's work, but Paul reminds us here, my friends, that the work of the minister is never easy. And Paul says there's, there's much difficulty. There's countless hours of labor. And many of us know the, the hours of study and reading and praying that goes into preparing a sermon to preach one, one day a week. Now, I, I can remember my son when he was probably seven or eight years old. We were riding in the car, and there was a minister on the radio preaching, and, and he turned to me as just with all his sincerity. He said, Dad, you don't have to spend all that time reading and studying and writing your sermon. Just listen to this guy on the radio and tell him what he says. It'll be very easy. That was the way he thought I should handle it. But Paul says, no, I, I labored. I kept back nothing from you that was profitable. I preached to you. I taught you. I warned you. I did so publicly and I did so privately. 
Paul had taught and preached in the synagogue in Ephesus. He had taught and preached in the school of Tyrannus. And he had done so for three years. And then he says, I I went house to house. I visited you and I taught you and I prayed for you and I counseled you in your homes. And then he adds, with many tears and in spite of opposition, my friends, the minister, the faithful minister of any congregation carries in his heart and on his shoulders the burdens of his people. And they are many and they are manifold. And sometimes they are extremely heavy. That minister knows what it is to stand beside the bed of a loved one who is about to pass out of this world into the next. And to pray for and try to comfort those who are bereaved of that loved one. He knows what it is to hear those unkind words and unkind actions, the kind of actions that make you want to quit and go work at Walmart. I can't remember who it was, but there was some minister, I I want to say it was Al Martin at a preacher's conference, and he was describing some of the difficulties and the trials and the heartaches that, that he goes through on a regular basis, and we said, Brother, what is a good week in the ministry like? And he said, a good week in the ministry is when I don't think about quitting more than twice. It gives you some sense of what the minister faces. Paul says, I've labored. Through it all, I've labored. Look at verse 21. I've labored testifying to Jews and also to Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. At the heart, at the core of Paul's ministry, of his teaching and preaching, it was this. You need to repent before God for your sin. And you need to turn in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was what Paul did time and time and time again. In verse 27, he mentions the fact, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Been a lot of times in my ministry that I've heard, you you really shouldn't deal with that in the sermon. That might offend someone. Brothers and sisters, a faithful minister must preach the whole counsel of God. The good stuff and the hard stuff. The enjoyable things and the not so enjoyable things. And I can honestly say I believe I've done that. I have not shunned from declaring anything in the word of God where I have been preaching His word to you. Paul says, I haven't hesitated to preach to you in all these situations. Now, when you think about the work involved, when you think about the heartaches 
involved. When you think about the stress involved, do you know that health insurance for ministers is the highest of any class of individuals on earth? Because we have the worst health record of anyone on the planet. All the work, all the heartaches, all the stress, why would anyone want to be a minister of the gospel? Ultimately, there's only one answer, and it is this. Because the faithful minister loves Christ and loves the church. And he wants to see that church become like their Savior, like Christ. And so he labors, he endures, he teaches, he preaches, he prays, he counsels, he visits because of his affection for the saints. That's why Paul labored like he did in Ephesus, because he loved them. Brethren, I think you know, but just in case, let me assure you tonight that for the last six and a half years, I and my wife, who has stood beside me the whole way and has reached out to so many of you and orchestrated so many meals for people in need, And kept me informed of what those needs are. And arranged for visits to be made. We have devoted ourselves to this church because we love God. And we were committed to do his will. No matter what. And we loved you. That is why. I want us to think about the minister's affection for the church. But secondly, I want us to look at these words a little bit different than what we normally might expect, but the minister's commendation of the church. Jesus tells us in John 10 about the good shepherd. We know that he is the ultimate good shepherd. But he tells us very clearly the good shepherd cares about his sheep. He desires to to take care of them. He wants to protect them, if at all possible, from any harm. The the hireling, the one who's, who's just doing it for a job, doing it for a paycheck, he doesn't care. When the wolf comes, when the bear comes, he runs. The shepherd will defend his sheep. The shepherd cares for his sheep, protects his sheep. He wants to see them prosper physically and spiritually. But here's the problem. What happens when a minister loves his congregation and the Lord of the harvest points that shepherd into another part of the vineyard? What can that man do? What can he say? When he must commit the care of his flock to another man. 
Well, that is exactly what happens in Acts 20 with the Apostle Paul. And my friends, that is what is happening with me. I I don't understand. I don't know why God has ordained the circumstances that he has. But I believe that what he's ordained is right. Listen again to the third verse of that hymn we sang moments ago. Number 108, if you want to turn there in your hymnals, third verse reads thus. Whatever my God ordains is right. Though now this cup in drinking may bitter seem to my faint heart, I take it all unshrinking. My God is true each morn anew. Sweet comfort yet shall fill my heart and pain and sorrow shall depart. I believe that. I believe that 100%. But what I feel is the bitterness of drinking this cup. Paul tells these believers this is the way he must respond in verse 32. When he says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. This word commend can mean different things. I think in our our typical usage today, we would speak of commending someone as praising them recommending them for something or or acknowledging their work. I commend you for doing this or doing that. That is not the sense here. The idea of commending in this text is the idea of committing. I commit you. I entrust you to God and to his word. So that what Paul is saying to these Ephesian elders is this, I commend you to God. In other words, my relationship with you as your pastor, as your minister, will soon be over. And now I commend you to God and to his word. I will no longer be able to watch over your souls. And my friends, as I stand here tonight and I look out over this congregation and I see so many of you who who are dear to my heart, whom I care for, all of you, I long to see you built up and strengthened in the things of the Lord. But I can no longer do that. The Lord in his providence is taking me away and I can no longer watch over your souls. But listen, you are not alone. 
There is one who watches over you, one who will care for you, and that is God himself. I commend you this night. I commit, I entrust you into God's care, and you can count on him. He will protect you. He will provide for you. His power will never fail, will never disappoint you. He loves you, my friends, far more than I do. In his hands, you will be safe. I commend you to God. You can trust him. Not only has he already provided a man to watch over you, to care for you, but he has appointed another man to come in and to come alongside of Pastor Matt and to to help and to minister and, and keep watch over your souls. Trust God in what he's doing, as hard as it may be. And even though, like me, you may not understand exactly why, you can trust that what God has ordained is right. The second thing Paul says is, I commend you to the word of his grace. I commend you to the word of God. Brethren, in a difficult time like now or ever in your life, Turn and look to the scriptures. I love that that expression that Isaiah uses in in chapter 8 and verse 20. In the midst of, of chaos and turmoil and wickedness in the people, he says, to the law and to the testimony. If they don't speak according to this book, there is no light in them. Brethren, I commend you to the word, to the word of God's grace that he has given us to the scriptures. Remember to to fill your mind. Let the consolations of the word of God fill your heart and mind and take comfort in those consolations. Remember those great and precious promises that we talked about this morning. Saturate your your hearts and your minds with the blessed doctrines of Scripture, the way of salvation, the forgiveness of sin, the hope of glory, the love of God. All of these blessed truths fill your heart and mind with these doctrines. Devote yourself to all the duties which the Word of God brings to your attention. Let me mention three things in large categories. Number one is public worship. Devote yourself to the public worship of God. One writer put it this way. He said, encourage your minister to preach by your eagerness to hear. Encourage your minister to preach by your eagerness 
to hear. Devote yourselves to public worship. Like Aaron and her who lifted up Moses' hands, so lift up your minister's hands by your prayers. Secondly, devote yourself to family worship. Now, some of you are single, and you might think that this doesn't apply to you. It still applies to you, even if you're a family of one. But brothers and sisters, devote yourselves to the biblical duty of family worship. Do not let one day go by in which you do not gather your family around the word and offer up prayers as as the Israelites offered up the morning and evening sacrifices. Devote yourself to family worship. There are few things you can ever do that will have a greater impact upon you and your children than family worship. And third, devote yourself to private worship. If you would be kept safe from the enemy of your souls, and remember what J.C. Ryle says, that our enemies are mighty, They're mighty and they're many. And they will confront you every single day. They will try to lure you out of the path of righteousness. Or they will try to frighten you away from the path of duty. But our enemies are mighty. But as Ryle says, our friends are mightier. Our God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are mightier than the devil and all his angels. So devote yourself to private worship. Do not neglect personal, daily reading of the word, prayer, and communion with Christ. And brethren, remember Solomon's words, keep your heart. With all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Edward Griffin, a man who was much blessed in the Second Great Awakening in New England, wrote this Men do not wander from God without an object of greater attraction. Men do not wander from God without an object of greater attraction. And the Apostle John says, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. For the love of the world is not in the Father. Beware, brothers and sisters, of the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh. Beware of this world and its attraction and its lure to draw you away from God. Devote yourself to private worship. Devote yourself and watch over your souls. Edward Griffin goes on to say this. He says, every morning, listen, every morning, settle in your minds that the chief 
business of the day is to make advances toward heaven. I think if we could do that, what a, what a change that would make in the tenor of the way we live day by day. Settle in your minds every morning at the chief business of the day. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus says. The chief business of the day is to make advances toward heaven. Children, young people, choose your friends carefully, especially you young men and young ladies who may be beginning to have an uncertain attractiveness towards this person or that person. Make sure those individuals are those people who will help you be devoted to God and not hinder you from that devotion. So choose your friends carefully. Well, let me turn to our third and final point, the minister's expectation for the church. Paul says, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. On this point, I'm going to be very brief. The fact is, God moves in mysterious ways. And as I've said, I don't understand what he's doing exactly. But I am convinced of this. God has blessings in store for you. God intends to bring blessing to this congregation in what he is doing. So look to God, draw close to him, pay careful attention to his word. And he, brethren, by his grace, will build you up. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to prepare you. He's going to help you to be a light in the midst of the darkness, shining in the darkness of this world around us. God has blessings in store. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul talks about the gifts God has given to men, particularly to pastors and teachers. And why? In Ephesians 4 and verse 11, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And why does he give gifts to men? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying. And you know that word means to build up. For the building up of the body of Christ. My friends, God has given gifts. He's given gifts to men for the specific purpose of equipping and building up his church. This church belongs to Christ. He has bought and paid for it with his own blood. And he 
has promised, I will build my church. So trust God. He will build you up. God is at work in this situation. And even though it might be hard or dark or difficult to understand, be still and trust him. It often works out in ways that we can't imagine. Many of you are probably familiar with the prayers of Monica Augustine's mother. And, and the, the bishop told her, God cannot turn a deaf ear to prayers such as these. But it was very interesting because Monica prayed and prayed and prayed with all of her heart that her son Augustine would not go to Rome because she knew that Rome was the the slime pit of iniquity and that if he went to Rome, he would certainly be swallowed up by that iniquity. Well, Augustine slipped off in the middle of the night to his mother's dismay, and went to Rome. But while he was in Rome, he heard about Bishop Ambrose in Milan. He went to Milan and heard the preaching of Ambrose and was converted. And one person says God did not give her what she asked for, but he gave her what she should have asked for. And that was his conversion. So sometimes God works in ways that we can't comprehend. Second thing that Paul mentions here, he says he is able to build you up and he is able to give you an inheritance in the midst of those who are sanctified. We've talked a lot in the last couple of weeks about the hope of glory, about the inheritance that awaits us. And just as God brought the children of Israel through the wilderness and into the land of Canaan to bless them with an inheritance that he had promised, so he will bring you into an inheritance of spiritual riches in Christ Jesus. You remember how the Apostle Paul speaks to this Ephesian congregation when he writes Ephesians 3 and verse 8, when he says, to me, to me who am less than the least of all saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. My friends, I thank God that for nearly seven years he has given to me the least of the saints the privilege to preach the unsearchable wonders, glories, majesty, and riches of Jesus Christ. How can we begin to thank him for all that he has done? But here's the thing. All the blessings that we have talked about, all the gifts, all the graces that God has lavished upon us as his people is just the hem of his garment. (laughs) We haven't even begun to taste the glories 
that await us. My friends, I commend you. I will no longer be your pastor. I cannot watch over your souls. I cannot care for your souls anymore. But I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. And he will build you up and give you an inheritance that will go beyond your wildest dreams. May his name be glorified. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for the example you give us in these words tonight of the Apostle Paul, of his love for the church, of his love for Christ, of his commending them to God and to the word of his grace. We thank you for the blessed work of your spirit in the hearts and lives of your people. Oh, Lord, would you continue that work tonight? And in the days and years to come, and may all the glory, honor, and power be to you and to the Lamb forever. Amen. Let's take a moment and meditate upon these precious truths.